Well, uh, Mike Kioski and I went to Romania on an epic adventure, stopping off in Oxford on the way back uh, to explore and develop our church planning and mission strategy for the next five years and to see what's already happened in Romania over the past 10 years. So uh, you're going to hear a lot of it this morning, but first, um, how about I teach you a little Romanian? Everybody say, Buna Diminața. Buna Diminața. That's good morning. Yeah, how about that? But I learned a trick. You can actually shorten it. You can just say, Buna. Yeah, that's like slang for morning. And so when I found that out, that's a lot easier. So I would just be like, Buna. And then they would give me, they'd laugh at me because American is using their short, you know. And then I found out you could either say Buna or you could just say Natsa, which is even cooler. You just say the end of it. Instead of Buna Dimi Natsa, you say Natsa. And then they really laugh at you because they're like, ah, he knows our slang pretty well. But congratulations, you now know a little Romanian. Not bad, huh? Well, let me tell you, the beginning of our journey was cursed. (laughs) We got to O'Hare. We were supposed to fly out on Friday. And uh, the plane came up to the gate, and they announced there was a slight mechanical delay. Slight mechanical delay. When they say that, you just walk to the window and look at the plane, and you're like, what is slight? What is mechanical? And how long are we going to be delayed? Well, there we were for like three hours waiting for them to fix the plane, you know. And then we see them pull all the luggage off of the plane and take the plane away. And then they bring a new plane. And I'm thinking, where did they find that one? This is the Plan B plane. Bring in the Plan B plane from hangar what? Where? Where's the spare plane sitting around on the airport? So they load all our luggage on that one. And, and then we're sitting there forever. Finally, we were supposed to leave at like 5 o'clock. Finally, at like 10.30 p.m., we're getting onto the Plan B plane. And I think all of us were kind of like, does this thing work? So we get on, we sit down, and then the pilot announces, uh, we regret to inform you, but the fuel indicator light is not working properly, so we're going to have a slight delay. Now we're sitting on the plane. After all this wait, having a delay. And then then he comes on the plane and says, taking longer than we thought after an hour. Uh, We're running into crew problems, which means the crew can only work for a certain number of hours a day. And if they go past their hours, game over, flight canceled. So now it's a race against time. We're sitting there on the plane, and, uh, and then we see the guys outside the window start motioning, and then the plane leaves the gate and goes out onto the runway. And everyone celebrated, like, whoo, we're going to fly. It's 11 p.m., 11.30 p.m., but we're actually going to fly out. And something was wrong because the pilot took us on, like, this long tour of the runway. Like, we went way out there on the runway where the runways weren't even lit up. It was just dark. And he's not driving quickly. And we see the United Airlines sign that's up on the building in O'Hare get smaller and smaller and smaller as we got farther away. Then suddenly it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And he took us right back to the gate. Parked the plane and said, sorry, flight's canceled. After we were out on the runway. So we're getting off the plane at like midnight. We're supposed to fly out at five. But the saddest part is, as we were getting off the plane, I found some poor fella who had fallen asleep hours before, and I had to wake him up. And I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, do I tell him that we made it? Hey, we're in Germany. 
So I just said something non-committal. I was like, time to get off the plane. And we got off, and he was probably like, what? We're still in Chicago. So anyway, the pilot stalled because they had to get customer service reps to the counter so they can rebook our flight. So we had to go home and come back the next day. It was like Groundhog Day. Come back the next day, and then we flew out a day late. So the beginning of our trip was not epic, but we got there. So we landed in, uh, in Romania, and maybe you're like, I don't even know where Romania is. Well, check it out. Here's a map. And uh, Romania is kind of right in the middle of that map. Like, start at Italy and go over like three or four countries and don't go into the Black Sea. And Romania is right there. That's where we went, Eastern Europe. Um, and here's a picture of Romania and our travels in Romania. We landed in Timisoara in the west, and then we immediately drove to Arad. Arad's the flagship church in Romania. It was the first church plant there. Uh, it's been there the longest. And uh, from Arad, then we traveled over to uh, Tergumuresh and Brasov and Ploiesht and Bucharest. So we even visited Sigishora for a day. So I'm going to actually spend the second half of the sermon telling you city by city what we accomplished in each place. But that gives you an idea of what we did. That's about 600 miles of travel in the car. Yeah. So my back is really sore. If you know a chiropractor or a massage therapist, just let me know because I'm looking to get that all, you know, back up and running this, this week. Romania has 20 million people. And you have actually heard of part of Romania because one region in Romania is called Transylvania. What comes from Transylvania? Dracula! Vampires! The locals say that there's no such thing as vampires, but I kept a wooden stake in my backpack just as a precaution. Can't trust vampires. Have you seen the cartoon movie uh, Hotel Transylvania? How many of you have seen that movie? So that's like set. That's where we went. Part of, part of where we went. Beautiful, lots of mountains. Um, this guy Dracula was actually based on a historical character named Vlad the Impaler. That's like his wrestler name, the Impaler. He was... Uh, he was entrusted with holding off the Ottoman invasion in the 1400s. So you kind of already know a little bit about this area. Why did we go? Well, we went because our church is serious about fulfilling the Great Commission. God wants us to go and make disciples. So check out Acts 1.8. We'll put it up on the screen for you. It says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. As a church, we have to decide if we are going to fulfill the mission. As an individual, you have to decide if you are going to take seriously the mission God has given us. It's not enough to just love each other here and take care of ourselves and make sure this thing is going well. We need to have our gaze fixed on the horizons of humanity and ask, how can we go and make disciples? Now, Harvest, primarily our method is church planting. Uh, we primarily plant churches. We do support individual missionaries like Mike Dawson down in the Amazon jungles, re- reaching a primitive people, the Yanomama. We do that. We also support things like language translation through Wycliffe Bible Translators. We do that. But our primary way of fulfilling the Great Commission is to plant churches. We'll see in the book of Acts this morning that this was the way the gospel originally spread. This is the primary way God wants his truth to reach the ends of the earth uh, through the local church. And we'll see that in the book of Acts. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, thank you for the mission. It's an impossible mission. 
We can't do this. We can't take this truth to the ends of the earth, which is why we receive power from the Holy Spirit. Thank you for turning us into your witnesses to our neighbors and family, but also to nations. Thank you for entrusting us with getting the gospel to the end of our street, but also with getting the gospel to the farthest reaches of civilization. May our church succeed in rising up, owning this mission, and advancing your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to go to Acts 14, verse 20. Acts 14, verse 20. What I want you to see in the first half of this sermon is, look how they did missions in the first uh, you know, century of church life, and then look how we're trying to do the same thing. We see it in here, so we go and do it. And in Acts 14, verse 20, we're uh, catching up with the Apostle Paul on the first missionary journey. What we see in the Bible consistently is God raises up church planters, missionaries, and evangelists in the church. Then he calls them out to go to specific places and the church supports them. Uh, we will put this verse on the screen, but Acts 13, to 5 shares the origin of how this trip started. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Here's a picture of the first missionary journey. Uh, I entered these locations into Google Maps, so you can see what it would look like if you went today, starting in Jerusalem, and then up, and then over to Cyprus, and then up again, hitting uh, the coast of what is today Turkey, uh, going up to Pisidian Antioch, and then visiting uh, three or four more cities, and then coming back through those cities, and then heading back to report on the good news. We catch up with them in like the lighter purple uh, icon up there. That's where we're joining them today. The first missionary journey happened in AD 46-47. They would be gone a year and a half. So here, after like 12, 13 days, I'm like, all right, it's time to go home. I miss deep dish pizza. They were gone a year and a half. Like over 50 days was just traveling on the first missionary journey. Not in flight. Like by boat or animal. Walking through the mountains. So we catch up with them when they're arriving at this town named Derby. The Apostle Paul had just been stoned and left for dead. God raised him up miraculously and he's on to the next town. So check out chapter 14 verse 20. It says this, When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel, what did they do? They preached the what? They preached the what? First thing, get to the city, preach the gospel. To that city. And had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So they went back through the churches. The first thing we observe they did is they preach the gospel. You can write this down if you're taking notes. We must preach the gospel. Usually you have like fill in the blanks in your bulletin, but because I got back late this week, you actually have to write out the whole sentence today. I know you picked the wrong day to come to church. We're making you work for it today. We must preach the gospel. 
What do we learn about our mission? How do we fulfill the mission? Well, we see it. They got there, they preached the gospel. We must preach the gospel. New town, new country, preach the gospel. Get the word of the cross out to the ends of the earth. People all over the world need to hear the gospel to be saved. Do you really believe that? Listen, this is a crisis in your own faith that I am putting in front of you right now. Do you or don't you believe that a person must hear the truth of Christ in order to be saved? And if they never hear the truth of Christ, they cannot get to heaven. The Bible teaches that they have to hear it. Sadly, many churches and denominations cut that nerve of urgency and say, well, God has many ways of revealing himself or he can use any religion to reveal himself. Or he... And then there's no urgency because they think that somehow these people are going to be pulled out of the burning building without rescuers arriving. Somehow they think they're going to get off the Titanic without rescue boats. But at this church, you need to know that it is one of our core convictions that people must hear the proclaimed truth of the gospel to be saved, period. That's what drives us to go. And that's what drives our method of going. They have to hear the gospel. Now, it's, uh, it's important, so important, to bring the love of the gospel to the ends of the earth too. Amen? The church is supposed to be the hands and the feet of Christ. We have to go and we have to care for the needs of people. Is it important to dig wells in Africa and purify water? Yes. I hope you would say amen to that. Is it important to send blankets to those in Nepal who are living out in the open for fear of earthquakes? Yes. We have to do that. Is it important to send rice to children in Africa who are struggling in, the, in a family? Yes. Yes, we need to do all that. Boxes and band-aids and Bibles. And we need to get the whole humanitarian love of Christ to the ends of the earth. But some people say that's missions and they stop short of proclaiming the truth of Christ and they call it a day. Some organizations and churches and denominations say as long as we're getting the love of the gospel to the ends of the earth, it's the same, if not better, as getting the truth there. Wrong. The love of the gospel... Seeing and feeling the love from Christians is so important, but it can't save. Experiencing love from a Christian reaching my front doorstep, crucial to the mission, not the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel. They must hear the truth. They must come to a decision about Christ and be called unto salvation through what they heard, or they won't be saved. And it's sad when we see people who assume that humanitarian aid and bringing the love is fine and we don't need to proclaim the truth. No, that's dead wrong. We have to proclaim the gospel. We must preach the gospel. And we believe that people must be saved through what they hear. I was supposed to preach the gospel. I was supposed to get to Arad, preach two services Sunday morning, and then go off to Yurok, which is another city, and share an evangelistic message, but United Airlines ruined all of that. So Christian Barbosu, the pastor in Arad, did all of it. That's what they're doing. Why? We, find, we see it right in the Bible, proclaim the gospel, so we do it. Maybe it sounds foolish for you to say, wait a minute, Ryan, you're a Westerner. You're going to go over there and stand up in front of a bunch of people you've never met and tell them to repent? Yeah, 
because that's what I read in here. So we're just going to do it because that's what they did. It's our mission strategy. We have to preach the gospel. Next, number two, write this down. We have to strengthen disciples. It says here that they preached the gospel, verse 21. They made many disciples. It says, then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. We have to not just make a disciple. Are you in or are you out? Trust Jesus as Savior. All right, I'll do it. Good. Have a nice life. We'll see you later. No, that's wrong. Once someone comes to faith in Christ, the real work of making them a disciple begins. We have to encourage them and instruct them and teach them. At Harvest, the way we express that is the three W's. We train people to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ. We do that in every Harvest. So it's the same in the Romanian churches. Paul and Barnabas come back through and they say, all right, congratulations, you're now a Christian. Sit down, there's some basic things we need to teach you. We're going to strengthen your soul. We're going to challenge your walk. We're going to grow your faith. They didn't just leave them as converts. They turned them into disciples. So we have to preach the gospel and we have to strengthen disciples. How? Well, by encouraging their faith. You can write that down. We have to encourage their faith. Hey, this is what we believe. This is what you have to turn to. This is what we've given our lives for. Here's our doctrine. Hey, this is how we behave. This is, this is not how we behave. You've got to leave this behind and start pursuing this. We encourage them. We also prepare them for hardship. It says in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So we have to encourage their faith and we have to prepare them for hardship. We have to tell them, hey, listen, Listen, this is going to be a hard life. Hey, we're calling you into something that's going to cost you everything. Uh, It's very sad um, that in many places, including South America, there is this name it, claim it, prosperity gospel missions movement where they bring the wrong gospel to town and tell people, hey, come to Jesus and you get a free car. Come to Jesus and he'll lavish his Riches upon you, and you'll have bling and the job you've always wanted and the health that you don't have now. Come to Jesus, and he'll make all your dreams come true. That's a sad and wrong and unbiblical way to do missions. The original way was come to Jesus and lose everything. Come to Jesus, and this is going to be a very hard road for you to walk. Come to Jesus, and you're going to be turned against by, your village, by the people in the village. Come to Jesus, and it's going to cost you everything, and you're going to suffer. And through many tribulations, you're going to enter the kingdom of God. There's a great end to your story. You'll get there. But it's going to be hard. This is true missions. When I think about our fellow churches in the Harvest Fellowship, I mean, Nepal, my goodness, they were already uh, persecuted. They were already, some of them were thrown into boiling water. Uh, some of them were harassed and threatened and attacked by their their village and then the earthquake happened and their whole uh, economy and and infrastructure fell apart and now they can't even go inside their houses for because they're afraid and man it's a hard thing for them to be going through this right now when i think of romania and how today there's only one percent evangelicals in the country one percent 99 out of every 100 people look at the evangelical Christians like they're members of a cult. 
They don't differentiate between the Jehovah's Witness and the Evangelical Christian and the Pentecostal. They're all just out there, and 99 out of 100 people in the country look down on you. And it was even worse under the communist regime before the revolt in 1989. How many of you have heard of Richard Wormbrand or Voice of the Martyrs in that ministry? Have you heard of that? That happened in Romania. He was in Romania when he was taken off and he was tortured. And a lot of the men, the older men and women who we talked to on our travels, that was their upbringing. That was their Christian upbringing. They lived in Wormbrand's world. It's a hard life. The government would come and rummage through your books to try and find a Bible. You had to do Christian camps secretly out in the middle of nowhere for the kids. I think of our church. We have a church in Chennai, India right now, and there are uh, Hindus following around our pastors and our leaders there, harassing them, intimidating them. That's happening today. It's hard. So we have to strengthen the disciples because it's going to be hard. And third, we must plant new churches. We see here that they preach the gospel, they strengthen disciples, and then they planted new churches. It says in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, staying, saying that through many tribulations will enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So they appointed elders. This was the common way. This was the normal way. This was the only way they did missions in the New Testament. They went to a town. They preached the gospel. They identified the followers of Christ. They strengthened them through some teaching and training. And then, in this case, within 18 months, they appointed local elders and they committed them to the grace of God. Meaning, there you go, God. They're all yours. You see this idea of autonomy from the very beginning, where after planting the church, raising up the leaders, they lay hands on them and pray for them, and then the apostles walk away. There's not this idea that, all right, now we've got the puppet strings on you and we're going back to Jerusalem, but you will do everything we say. That didn't happen. In Titus chapter 1, it says, appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. So how did missions happen? Evangelists, missionaries, church planters arrived. They preached the gospel. They strengthened the disciples, and then they planted a new church. They walked away, and they let the church grow under God's care. We see that. We see that, and we say, all right, let's do the same thing. That's how we do missions. That's how we do church planting today. So we commit them to the Lord. And Harvest plants churches. Check this out. Here's a few slides uh, from the Harvest Fellowship. The first one shows all the churches that we've planted so far in 2015. There's about six that have already been planted in Cuba, Kenya, Arizona. Uh, and we, when I say church plant, um, I have to clarify this because many denominations and missions organizations grossly overreport what they're actually accomplishing. All right? They'll say, we planted 15 churches this, this year. And you're like, can I go to one of them? And they're like, oh, no, you, 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 they're just a startup. And they really didn't plant 15 churches. They just don't define it the same. So when I say plant a church, I mean they meet every week. I mean they have an established, recognized lead pastor. Uh, they have financial support. Um, they, are, they have elders. Usually they're installed from other churches to begin with, but then they raise up their own elders. They do uh, the ordinances of the church, like missions and missions like baptism and communion. That is a church. Okay, so this isn't like five people around a card table um, praying for something. I mean a church is planted. So six churches have already been planted in 2015. And then check it out. Here's more churches that are coming. These are core groups that are uh, getting off the ground now. 
Um, and uh, obviously, Pastor Brandon's in Rochester. He's listed there. A few more in Romania, Cincinnati. If you know anybody in those cities, let them know that there's a Harvest Church coming to your town. Uh, we have about 115 Harvest Church plants that are thriving, viable, small, medium, large, uh, but they all have the same core DNA, the four pillars, the three W's. Um, sometimes when organizations or churches go and plant or start new works, um, they, they kind of reproduce the outside similarities, like culture, dress code, lyrics. Um, like the outside is what they kind of try and reproduce, uh, which is why you'll often sometimes find like pianos dragged out into the middle of South America because a church planter arrived and they had to play those old hymns on the piano, right? We actually seek primarily to reproduce our core DNA, our most precious doctrinal values, and then the external can actually be different. So if you go to Harvest in Liberia, you'll see the four pillars, you'll see the three W's, but they'll look differently, they'll dress differently, they'll talk differently, they'll sing differently, because the major things are our core convictions, the minor things are the expression culturally of those things. All right, so now we've seen we have to preach the gospel, strengthen disciples, and plant new churches. Now the question is, how is Harvest Palis trying to rise up and do those things here and in the world? Sometimes you come to church and you get a sermon that a Bible verse that's supposed to help you in your walk with your Jesus, right? Today, this sermon is for our church. How is our church doing with our walk with our Jesus? How is our church doing at fulfilling the mission He has given us? This is for our church. So let me take you through the cities we visited and show you how we're attempting to fulfill this uh, call to missions. We started in Arad. Arad was the first church we planted in Romania. Um, there's 147,000 people in Arad. We've got a few pictures here, so you can see Arad over there. A few, that's their building that they're putting up. Pastor Christian Barbosu is right in the middle. He's very well known. He's on the radio, um, and he has a great evangelistic ministry, not only in Romania, but he also travels throughout Europe sharing the gospel. So he's a great man of influence, and it was awesome to get to know him. Their church is about seven or 800 people and growing. We stayed with a man named Raul, uh, I stayed with a man named Raul. He's their adult ministries pastor. So I asked Raul, like, tell me about your background. What, what, was, what have you done? And he's like, oh, I used to be a, a pastor out in rural Romania. I said, well, what was that like? He said, we once had a church fight, and people actually brought pitchforks to the fight. <laughs> he said, I had to go out there and stop my church from fighting with pitchforks. <laughs> I said, wow, that's impressive. Arad is an interesting city. They're meeting in a temporary building um, and uh, it's either rented or sold to them by a, by a mafia guy. And the mafia guy sold it to them after his mafia buddy got saved. So his mafia buddy got saved and then he's like, oh, you need a church? I'll help you out. And he hooked them up with the building. It used to be a nightclub and a strip club. Now it's a church. Several men have been there for both functions. <laughs> but it's good to see Christ redeem the space and to grow them. So this project, let's show the building project again. This project is a $5 million project. Now, for those of you who are into economics and finances and whatever, the uh, economy in Romania isn't, isn't great. It's pretty depressed. Uh, the average person might make five, $600 a month. 
five, $600 a month. Um, and uh, when you go over there, for every dollar you give, you get four of their lays. So that's how weak their currency is. You get four of their dollars to our dollar. So like if you decided to splurge and go out and have like the biggest, like a $100 meal in the United States, you'd pay about 20 bucks there. A little over 25 bucks. So um, their currency is weak. So to, to build a $5 million building is really hard. You know, really hard. But they're, they're after it. And it's in this building that they're going to put the training center for church planners in Iran. Now, we have a training center for the fellowship in Elgin. That's the one I went to. They crank out maybe 15, 20, 25 church planners a year. We're now launching training centers. So we're not just planting churches. We're planting training centers. So in this church... They're going to have 5, 10, 15 church planners a year going to Eastern Europe, see? And they're going to put a training center in the Caribbean. They're going to put a training center, hopefully, in Nepal soon. And won't it be cool when we have, like, 20 training centers in the world that are each cranking out 10, 20 church planners a year? That's how we're going to hit our goal, which is ultimately we want to see 1,000 Harvest churches in our lifetime. It's going to be here. So there's Mike Kioski, one of our elders there, here in the vision. And our elders are just so excited about this project that uh, we actually decided to give uh, a $10,000 gift to their building program so that they can get this training center built. Hey, your offerings have gone towards launching a training center in Eastern Europe that's going to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Isn't that encouraging? What's it like to be a Christian in Arad? Well, Pastor Barbosu told me how Not only are you in the 1% of the population, only 1% is evangelical, but that includes Pentecostals, Charismatics, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, all the cults, that includes, you know, the Baptists. And and so Harvest, even within the evangelicals, are kind of looked down upon. So it's not enough that, you know, the the rest, 99% of your country is looking down on you, but then even other evangelicals see you as weird. So the Baptists are just so riddled with legalism and formalism and down on contemporary worship, and down on a lot of what Harvest is all about. So these pastors are truly ostracized. When Christian Barbosa goes and does evangelism events, um, people, fellow Christians are like, what's he doing here? He has no business being here. They're weird. We don't like the way they do church. So even among fellow Christians, they're frowned upon. But Pastor Barbosa is doing a great job. He's staying strong. He's moving forward, and it was awesome to see all that's going on there. All right, so after, uh, show the map. So after Arad, we went to Tirgu Murash. So you want to say that? Say Tirgu. You got to roll the R a little bit. Tirgu. Tirgu Murash. Tirgu Murash. Took me 10 days to figure out how to say that. Some of you got it, right? Like some of you didn't even try. Tirgu Murash. They haven't launched yet. So here's some pictures from Tirgumorash. I think we have a picture there. Picture? Launch team? No, keep going. There we go. You can go back to that other one. So Pastor Doru with the pizza. How many of you were here when Doru came to church? Remember that? One morning he came here and we brought him up on stage. So he's there now. He's going to launch this church. uh, And we met with their launch team. So you can go to the next picture. We met with their launch team and took a city tour. They showed us around. Uh, and so uh, it was cool to hear their vision for how they're going to launch this church. We're in front of City Hall there in Tsugamorash. And here's a video with me 
interviewing Pastor Doru, and he's telling us about his city. In this morning, I, I was time out in it. <laughs> All right, this is Pastor Doru. He will be the pastor of the soon-to-launch Harvest Tirgu Murash. Perfect. I've learned to say that. It only took me a couple days. So, Doru, tell us what makes Tirgu Morash unique. Well, one of the things is uh, the mixture of the population because they are um, almost 45% Hungarian here. Uh, even though this city is in the middle of the country, which is weird. <laughs> uh, and uh, because of this, the mixture of the people... Uh, we have a lot of uh, religion here, which means uh, Catholics, almost 40%, uh, 12% um, Reformed, and 1% uh, Seventh-day Adventist, which means it's the same as Evangelicals, which in Romania, Evangelicals means Baptist, Pentecostal, and Charismatics together. So... Uh, these are two things that makes this, uh, this city kind of unique from the other uh, cities in Romania. And you are building your launch team right now. How many people are on that team so far? Uh, 21 committed uh, guys, family, young family. And uh, we have five, six people that are coming regularly but are not committed yet. So awesome. in the short future committed them also. Well, pray for Pastor Doru. Pray for Tirgu Muresh. Amen. Amen. So after we met with their launch team, we gathered them around and we told them our launch story. We encouraged them. Um, they don't, they're nervous. They don't know how it's going to work. Uh, they come from different church backgrounds. You might have a brethren sitting next to a Baptist, sitting next to a Pentecostal, and they're trying to launch a harvest. So they have, <laughs> they have a lot to learn about our DNA. Um, even in the most, like, cutting edge churches there in Romania. They're kind of, their worship is kind of stuck in early 2000s American worship. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, so bringing harvest and all this really new worship and, uh, is, is, is unusual. Plus, they, don't, they have not done small groups in Romania. So telling them that our primary discipleship model is small groups freaks them out because especially the older folks who grew up under communism you never told anyone anything. You didn't even tell your kids stuff because it's just a matter of time before they get called into the police station, interrogated, and threatened. You have to give us some information or you, this will happen to you. So by default, you never shared information for your good and the good of the other person. So getting them to all come to a small group and open up about how their walk is going is very hard. And it takes time for them to buy into that to trust other believers. Um, you know, it's sad, but the, uh, many of the Orthodox priests, the clergy of their land, were the first ones to turn into informers. So, so you'd go to church, and there, he'd be on the government payroll. And uh, so it, it, we're, we're trying to break apart this, uh, this problem that they've been faced with for a long time. So we sat with them. We told them about Harvest. We told them about how we launch, why we do church this way. And, um, you know, there are a lot of questions about why we do it this way, how we do it. A lot of questions about when they can launch and how they launch. We learned a lot about uh, the city. Um, and Pastor Doru told me 
you know, I said, what's it like to be a Christian here in this city or this country? And he said, um, we, are, we are worse, we're, we're seen as worse than pagans. Meaning the priests tell the people that if you become an evangelical, it would be better if you were just a non-believer. Because becoming an evangelical is worse because you're a part of a cult. So you're worse than a pagan. Um, in addition, the priests tell people that, you know, the Orthodox faith is the faith of the country. So if you leave the church, you're not even a Romanian anymore. So that would be like if, let's say that you go to your neighbor and you're like, hey, I'd like you to come to my church. And they're like, what kind of church? Evangelical. And your neighbor's like, you're not even an American to me. It'd be better if you were just a sinful person. Get out of that cult as fast as you can. That's the dynamic. So uh, it's hard for them to reach out to their neighbors. They're viewed uh, very poorly by the clergy. If you're asking yourself, what's this Orthodox church? What, what do you mean by that? 80% of Romania is Eastern Orthodox. If you saw it, it looks similar to the Catholic church, um, but uh, they split in the 11th century. So priests are not that involved in the lives of the people. People are not that involved in the life of the church. The church basically functions as a political organization. It's really important for you to understand this. The church is primarily a political organization, and the priests primarily provide social services for a fee. So you come to the church to get married, to get baptized, to get buried, and it's for a fee, fee for service. In addition, once a year, the priest knocks on your door and you pay your church tax. If you don't pay your church tax, no services, no wedding, no baptism, no funeral for you until you catch up on your church taxes. Thank you. I'll see you again next year. So the common people don't view the clergy, the priests, very well. They see them as crooked, godless, indulgent, wealthy, uh, and mean. And um, that's just all they've known. That's why we have to plant churches. That's why we have to plant churches. Because the option they have is that Orthodox church on the corner. Who's going to bring them another option? That's where church planting comes in. So we're putting the uh, training center in Arad, but the guy who's going to lead the training center, his name is Yonika, and he came and met us in Tirgu Moresh. So we walked up in the clock tower, which is the um, capital building in Tirgu Moresh, and uh, we, we walked up 210 steps or something, and Yonika is afraid of heights. So check this video out. I interviewed him on top of the clock tower. <laughs> this is Yonika. He's fainting. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, up on top in the tower of Tirgu Muresh. Yonika is going to be in charge of training Romanian church planters. Do you have any words? I'm fainting. <laughs> How many steps? 200 and 202 steps. 202 steps later. <laughs> he kept saying, guys, can we go down now? <laughs> He's so afraid. He's going to be the one who is uh, training up church planters, sending them out. But it became evident to us and to them, they need more churches, evangelical churches in Romania. Okay, from, um, from Tigamorash, where they were raising up a launch team, we went to Brasov. So here's the map again. We arrived in Brasov, which is letter D. In 2013, um, Lauren, me, Mike Yowski, and Terry went to Brasov. We helped them get ready to launch the church. We trained their launch team. Then they launched. Then Pastor Mark led our second team to Brushov after they launched to promote high-impact worship and training to get them equipment. We bought them sound equipment. We bought them chairs. 
Uh, we, we bought Pastor Christie some books. Uh, we've, we've covered his salary in part for the first three years. So your offerings have led to this new church coming up into being. And they couldn't have done it without our support. Okay. So uh, then I just went with Mike. That was the third team we sent. Then we're sending this fourth team in early August to do outreach, evangelism, sports camps, English language training. That's coming up. But Brasov is by far the place where we have helped out the most. Um, little history on the town. It was settled by German Saxons and Hungarians in the 1100s. It was fortified by Teutonic Knights on crusade in the 1200s. Today there are 227,000 people living there. Um, also, the fortress of the city totally represents the spiritual climate. It's a walled city. It's down in the valley, and it's surrounded by this massive wall. But uh, Christy and I just talked about how this city is so impenetrable to the gospel. Evangelists have come to town. Church planners have come to town. And they've just said again and again, this is like the hardest city to reach. It's like there's a spiritual wall around it. Um, so it's awesome that Christy is there. He's, uh, he's working hard. He's seeing a little fruit. But it's a very hard city to reach. Check this out. Here's Christy walking us into his church. Here is Harvest Metanoia Brochot. Come in. Church mission. Glorifying God, isn't it? The four pillars. You know it. And here are some people that we it says worship, walk, work, all Say all hey, all hey, hey. Hey. Come in. So when do you start? Here is the sanctuary, Harvest Bible. Metanoia, Russia. You know, the, again, salt in the Mano language, which is the four, uh, the four, uh, Pillars, okay? Proclaiming the authority of the Word of God without apology. Demon of Christ, I. We believe in the prayer of, power of prayer and evangelism. Evangelizing with the boldness. And here are, they're not idols, okay? But there are three W's. <laughs> Worship Christ, walk with Christ, work with Christ. Welcome to the Harvest Metanoia Brasho. So you see, the same DNA is what we're reproducing all over the world. Four pillars, three W's, make the same type of disciple devoted to Christ, holding the same doctrinal convictions. Let's major on the majors, and then if you have a unique cultural expression of how you do that, great. But it's the same core, the same heart, the same um, foundation that we're building these churches on. So in Brasov, Mike and I did some leader training. We gathered all the leaders together. We talked to them about love and wisdom, and we strengthened them. And if you remember, what we learned was preach the gospel, strengthen disciples, plant new churches. So we're strengthening these disciples, teaching them about leadership. Christy and I are meeting over a meal and saying, all right, what's next? How do you raise up leaders? Who are you taking through Uncommon Leadership 101, 201? Who's going to be your next small group leader? Like, we're moving the ball forward, and we're able to provide that support and oversight for them. Also, this is a church. I've been an elder uh, over this church from the beginning. Christy's been an elder. Adi Stanchu has been an elder there. So it has biblical oversight. They're doing baptism and communion. They're meeting every week. They have an organized structure. This is a church. And we plant churches. So that's in Brasov. 
Then after Brashov, we went to Ployesht, which is a church that is already launched. So Arad, Ployesht, and Brashov are already churches. Uh, Tegumoresh and Bucharest have not yet launched. So check out this video from Ployesht with their pastor, Sam. His name is Sam Kuku. Sam Kuku. I am with Pastor Sam from Harvest Ployesht. Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit about your church? Sure. Uh, this church started uh, by God's grace in 2009 with a group of 34 adults plus a few kids. And uh, at the beginning, they, um, they met in a central cinema, so right uh, across this road here. Um, and uh, after two years, uh, the Lord provided this place here, which is much better for us. And it's, um, it serves us well, so you can, you'll see it in a, in a second. So uh, we've been meeting here for uh, the last three years. And, um, yeah, the Lord has been doing a good, a good work here uh, with us at Harvest Blished. Um, Amen. Yeah. Now, so I have we, to ask yeah. you a question. Is that a Romanian accent I hear? Because you sound slightly British. Yeah, it's not. A, it's a um, um, Romanian accent with a British Slant. Really? And where did you get the British slant to your accent? Yeah, my wife is from England originally, but then she she um, has been living in Romania for the last I don't know five five uh, six years mm. and plus few more years. If we sometimes add I like to talk in a British accent too. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Was that good? <laughs> no. No, no, no. I, well, I don't know. I'm Romanian. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you show us inside? Yeah, there's. This next video takes us. We are entering their church. Harvest Poyash. Here's the lobby. And uh, welcome to the worship center. All right, so this is where you have worship on Sundays? Yes. So this is the place. It looks better now because we did some, we've done some decoration. And we've got the full pillars. Somebody said uh, there are only two, but actually there are four. If yeah. You carefully. Yeah, so, there are four, two on the ends and then two in the middle. Yes. Yeah, I see you've got the drum kit, the guitars up there, the bass. Yes. And uh, we've got the three W's uh, yeah. on the uh, left. And uh, where's the soundboard in the back? Yes, the soundboard too. So great. Uh, this sits about uh, I don't know about uh, 70, um, 80 seats. Usually we are around 60 adults plus 20, 25 kids. We've got three rooms at the back for the kids. Great. Thank you for showing us your place. You're welcome. So you see it again there, the four pillars, the three W's. It's very hard and rare and difficult to um, launch a thriving church planting movement. Um, and sometimes in order to make that happen, organizations will compromise on major convictions and say, well, if we cast the net wide enough, we'll get more people to do it. And then you'll visit some of these churches in the network and they have almost nothing in common. They're different uh, in doctrinal convictions and in the way they make disciples. At Harvest, what makes us unique is you visit any of these churches. You go to North Phoenix, you go to Jacksonville, you go to North Raleigh, you go to Indianapolis, and you see the same type of disciple and the same core convictions. That's really hard to do, but that's our conviction that this is how we're supposed to plant churches. So we went to Poyash. We did leader training there, and we gathered them all together, and we told them about Harvest DNA. It was an older crowd, so you can imagine, like I said, they lived through some hard times, and they're still a little skeptical about things, so we talked to them about, um, talked to them about leadership, character. We talked to them about the qualifications of leaders found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and they took it all in. Um, they didn't ask tons of questions. We, we were trying to figure out, does that mean they're just used, because of their upbringing, they're just used to like taking what the leader says and running with it, or are they still trying to figure out if they're on board? We don't know. 
Um, but we provided that leader training. We encouraged Pastor Sam. Um, then we headed back to Brushove and we conducted their service. I preached at Brushove Sunday morning. Mike shared his testimony Sunday morning, which was really awesome. Then um, our last stop in Romania was Bucharest. We went and visited Pastor Adi. They haven't launched yet, so they're going to launch in the fall or the spring. And so again, we gathered their core team around, um, their launch team. I got to get up and share our launch story. So our story encouraged them. Uh, there was about 30 or 40 people in the room. They were so excited. They're a younger crowd. They're a lot more. They've been together for a while. They know each other. So the room was filled with life. And uh, I got up there and just told them about launching a church and how Romania needs more church plants and how God's going to do this and, and we will prevail. They were just eating it up. They were so excited to be encouraged um, as they try and plant the church. So check it out. This is Pastor Adi right after one of their launch meetings. This is Pastor Adi. He is going to be launching Harvest Bucharest this fall. And we just wrapped up a court group meeting with them. Oh, yeah. Uh, can you tell us how we can pray for you? Yeah, so first, can you see that I'm a young guy. I'm just having 29, 29 years old. Uh, pray for a lot of wisdom for me uh, as I start this new uh, group here. And pray for, for kind of like revival to be pressed. Uh, there are a lot of uh, religious people here, and we just we just need uh, a new uh, beginning with God. We want to see God's glory uh, manifest in this, uh, this city. So pray for those two things that are so important for my heart and for us as a, a group of people. Amen. We'll do that. Thank you. So just to give you perspective, um, Ployash has about 200,000 people. Brasov was the biggest city up to this point. We visited 227,000 people. Uh, Bucharest, uh, when we arrived there, they have like 2 million people. Huge city, the capital of Romania. 3 million if you count the workers who come in and out every day. Massive. And driving around Bucharest felt like I was in Chicago at times. They had bands outside playing. They had big festivals happening, huge parks, uh, giant government buildings, the fact that we're going to put a harvest in Bucharest is a big deal. This is where the uh, 1989 uprising against communism ended in, in Romania. So this is where the couple who was leading the, um, the whole country was kind of confronted. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a major city in terms of symbolism um, of their, of their uh, political landscape right now. It changed everything. Now they're a world, world-class city. They have people from all over the world there. And once communism fell... Most of like the educated and wealthy Romanians kind of left because now they could finally get out. And we're, we're hoping to take advantage of that because there are Romanians all over Europe and in the United States who left. And they had resources and they were, they were uh, able to make connections, get jobs right away. And if we can get this thing going in Bucharest, then word's going to spread to like all these frontier Romanians who are going to hear, oh, wow, there's this awesome church in Bucharest. All right, so after we visited... Pastor Adi, then our last stop was um, in England. Uh, here's a map. We stopped in London, and then we uh, spent just half a day there, and then we went out to Oxford <clears throat> because one of our partnerships is with RZIM, Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Um, they train evangelists and apologists. Um, they don't plant churches, but they train these speakers to either uh, be trained and then go out and, and get jobs and just influence wherever they end up, whether it be in politics or in, in a school, university, um, or they train these apologists up and then they make them uh, full-time evangelists and they send them out to speak in government organizations or at churches or whatever. So this is one of our key partnerships um, 
for evangelism and apologetics. And this is where they have their training center. So our training center is in Elgin and now also in Arad. Their training center is in Oxford. So check it out. Here's actually a picture of the event. Um, there's where we were at a church in downtown Oxford. And then this next video shows me in front of their training center. Uh, go ahead and show that. Hey Harvest, I'm standing in front of ACA, the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. This is where RCIM trains their apologists, 25 or 30 of them each year. And then after training them, they send them out to uh, many different places in the world. Maybe they just get a normal job in the world, or maybe they become um, regular apologists and that becomes their calling. But uh, here is where the training happens, and we just got a tour of the building, and we heard about everything that goes into a one-year program here. So it's been exciting. It's a very big deal that um, RZIM got this ability to put a training center for apologetics in Oxford. Oxford is the top university in England. It's within the top five in the world. The graduates of this university have shaped the political and religious world as we know it. Graduates include John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, John Wesley, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Tony Blair, Bill Clinton, Stephen Hawking. I was walking around Oxford like feeling like I don't belong here. There's a lot of smart people around here, and I went to community college. I just wanted to not say anything dumb. I felt really out of place till I found a burger restaurant called Atomic Burger. I went in, and I felt right at home. I was like, this is my kind of place. They put pulled pork on the burger before they serve it to you. It's not my favorite restaurant in all of the U.K. So we walked around Oxford and um, college town sat in on the conference that Ravi's team was having and saw, toured their training center at Oxford. They not only offer a one-year program now, they actually now offer a two-year master's degree in apologetics. So you can have an Oxford degree in Christian apologetics through RZIM. That's a really huge thing. It's hard to do that. The fact that they pulled that off is big. And those people are now going to influence um, the, uh, the church and the world through their apologetics. So that was our last stop. It was good to walk around with Bob Grinnell, who was their, one of their directors, and he told me about all Robbie's team has planned. They're getting into South America this year. They're buying a 100,000 square foot uh, building in Atlanta to put a big training center there. Um, so they're going to close on that deal this year. And just to hear all the exciting things that are going on in that ministry was really great. So this is uh, how we do missions, and I hope this showed you um, why we plant churches, we preach the gospel, we strengthen churches, we plant new churches, we partner with organizations that help us do that. And I hope that this will inform your prayers this week as you lift these churches in Romania, these brothers and sisters in Romania up before the Lord. But hey, let's do that right now. Let's just close with a word of prayer and thank God for all he's doing uh, through our church and their church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you said you will build your church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We also know that when the apostles were dragged into court, that one of the men said, let these men go. If what they are doing is of God, you will not be able to stop them. That's proved true. Lord, the world cannot stop the growth of your church. We thank you for that. We pray for the spread of the gospel in Romania. We pray for Christian and Arad Pray, Lord, that you would strengthen him for the work. Fill him with your spirit. Pray for Doru, Tigramorash. We pray that you would 
Bless him and help them to have a strong launch coming up and surround him with people who are faithful and hardworking. We pray for Christy and Brashov that you would strengthen his hands and help him to stay at it even though it's a hard work. Help the church to grow. We pray, Lord, for Sam and Ployash and his team that you would strengthen his leaders, help them to see how to make disciples. May they plant churches, Lord, and may they be filled with joy as they hear all that you're doing through the fellowship. We also pray for Adi, Lord, just that you would bless his work in Bucharest and open up doors to the nations through that city. We pray that he would launch strong by your hand. We also thank you for RZIM and all they're doing to get the truth of Christ to the ends of the earth to defend the faith. Lord, help them to get this training center going uh, in Oxford and also in Atlanta. We pray that you would favor them, Lord, and help them to stand in defense of the word. We pray also that you would continue to bless our efforts as a church as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission. Give us wisdom, give us knowledge, favor our efforts, Lord, by your spirit. It's for your glory that we do this. In Jesus' name, amen.